So welcome back to Work Actually. Now this is part two of my chat with Carlton King, a former secret intelligence, national security and governmental close protection officer. So if you haven't yet heard part one, I recommend you listen to that bit first, as Carlton explains the differences between the agencies and their setups and how he got into this line of work, leading to being the highest ranked black case officer in Britain. So here is the second part of the chat. I hope you enjoy. Can we go into a little bit of the bit of the glamour, if there is any, of, you know, when people think of a spy and they think of false identities and they think of deep cover, can we get a bit of a sense of what that was like? And and what is the reality of that? Because it's not James Bond, is it? Come on. What is the reality of, of an operation of that? scale really of of having to go undercover this depends on organization cover work is done all times um short term all times uh, in the branch ubiquitous short term uh, and and in uh, sis ubiquitous short term okay um as a case as a case officer I'm yeah saying, you know, as a case officer so short term often done um and yes that can mean that you're going to countries, uh, different person, different passport, different thing, blah, 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 in SIS, MI6, and in the branch, uh, short-term, going into organisations, doing tasks, short-term. So when you say short-term, how short are we talking? Well, that can be anything. It can be extended, you see. So that can be, you know, uh, uh, two, three, four days a week, over several weeks. Yeah. So, you know, it can be expanded over months. You could be doing that. Um, you can have, as was the case, you can have several different identities running at the same time. Wow, and, really? You know, all the different time, all running differently at different times in different countries doing different things. And then there's the long-term ultra-deep stuff, which was done, frankly, in the branch, not necessarily nice, uh, um, which um, is mentally debilitating mm-hmm. and over many, many years, uh, day in, day out, every day, 365 days of a year, all day. I just, it, I think for most people, you just can't comprehend being able to do that. Um, yeah, and I don't think you know whether you can or you can't yeah. until you do it. Really? So that's, that's where the problem lies. Um, as I said, if depending on what the role is and depending upon what you're doing, then, uh, um, um, you know, there's different consequences in all of those roles uh, in, in what you do. Some of them are, as you say, highly glamorous. Um, you know, you, you are the wealthy person doing whatever. Some of them are less than that. You're not that at all. You're no. the opposite. Mm. So it all depends. all depends on what the task is. Um, um and uh, that's a sensitive area, so I'll, I'll stay relatively clear. Mm, as in, you won't, you can't really talk about your own experiences. Yeah, I mean, if you've got an interest in that, you can read the book, yeah. uh, Black Ops, um, and it will give you some idea. Um, uh, but I would, I'd stay relatively clear from those areas. Can you give an indication of all the different? countries that you worked in a bit of an idea of how many right so you've got to understand that uniquely have been in several different roles mm. so 
If you're talking about in close protection role, which when the branch was disbanded, that's where I happened to be. Okay. I was a senior officer there and I set up our um, various bodies. Uh, so in in that aspect of protecting, you know, our prime minister, our foreign secretary or whatever else, I'd say I've worked in half a country of the world, maybe more. Wow. Really? Maybe more. <gasps> yeah, maybe more. That's incredible. Um, so that role for that specific thing, I won't talk about the roles in terms of external intelligence aspect um, because that's a more sensitive field. Just to make it clear, spying is an offence in practically every country, which is, of course, why the special branch was there. The security service. Yeah. So in our country, so I won't touch on any of that. No. But, yeah, so if you're looking at, at countries in terms of that, uh, protection, yeah, practically three, maybe even more, maybe three quarters of, 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 of the world. And there it is glamorous now. There you can get glamour. The you know if your prime minister, foreign secretary, home secretary, whatever, goes to wherever, and you're protecting that person, um, then you're obviously living in the same bubble that that person is. I give you an example of that in, in in the UK, you get somebody like uh, Bill Clinton. He used to love the Ritz, so he's got the presidential suite, and you've got the room next to him. Yeah, that's pretty glamorous. That, just as an example, and that's the way it works on, on, on all the others. If somebody likes going to Monte Carlo, Monaco, and wants to be in Fairview or wherever else, then you're in that room, you know. And Can it be a little bit boring? Yeah, but you see, what you've got to realise is people don't understand protection. It's not just you or blokes just standing next to somebody. Sure. Or blokes and women. Basically, that's just the... Um, overview the intelligence is highly highly important so the other side of, of that is a negative is going to war zones which i was in afghanistan and iraq practically every month so if i'm going to afghanistan and iraq say, with secretary of state for defense or one of his ministers i don't know if you know our system our system is we have a prime minister then you've got secretaries of state and underneath the secretaries of state you've got ministers of state yeah so if they're going to war zones um and, you, and I ran the Secretary of State's team for defence. I ran that. I also run the Ministers of State for defence. So if a minister goes to Afghanistan or Iraq, not Secretary of State now, then I'd put a team together to protect him and I'd go in Iraq or Afghanistan and the war zone. So there you are now in... So you go ahead. and I generally go ahead 10 days before um, and set out the operation. I know where he wants to go. I know where he wants to do it. And I have to look at every aspect of that operation. Going to the military, how can you help me? What can you do for me? What are you going to provide me with? Work out with them. What I need to understand their systems. So do I know about, you know, what they can do with uh, uh, um, oversight aircraft or AWACS? Can they look down and see where we are? Can they, you know, and I work out all aspects I need to work out with, with the military to provide me with the assistance. I then might go, example, to, let's say, the Yemen, where I was on, on, on quite a few times. We had nothing there, really. So I go to the United States and I'd say, listen, I know you've got your sixth fleet off the coast. If anything happens, can will you fly us to your sixth fleet and will you provide us with hospital uh, facilities there because the facilities in the Yemen are not good? 
You know, so you're working out all the intelligence. You're trying to get all the intel as to what's happening, which groups are playing, which groups are trying to do what, who's trying to kill whom, how it functions. That's three quarters of your work. You're working out if we go to that area here, what stops on the way do I have that are safe, you know, and what do I not have that's safe, hmm. you know. And I've been on places in where, you know, something's blown up in front of me, boom, obviously planning for you. Now you've got to figure out where do you go, what do you do now? Bosh, 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 bosh. That's how it all works. So uh, it, it's it's not just about the moment. In fact, the moment's really not where it's at. It's really about you planning, proceeding. And you might turn around and say, uh, Minister, Secretary of State, Prime Minister, you're not going. Sure. It's too dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and when it I could be a call like, that you made. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If, 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 you know, I'm the team leader. If I turn around and say... This is why that nonsense you see, uh, which was the bodyguard and, and you know, I train my people, I say, listen, men and women, I say, never say sir or ma'am to somebody. Right? Now, I'll explain why I'm saying that to you. Right? You can say sir or ma'am to people in the police service because those are your bosses. Right? But you do not work for the prime minister, the foreign secretary, the home secretary. You don't work for them. You're, you work for the Metropolitan Police. Yeah. Special branch, or in this case, SO1, after the branches, but your, which is specialist protection, your job is to keep them alive. If you're saying sir or ma'am to these people all the time, when you tell them, get your head down. They're not going to listen. And do what I say, then they're not going to listen. So, right. you, 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 you know, with respect, you'll say by title, Prime Minister, Secretary of State, whatever the title is, Minister, yeah. And some of these guys you get to know and gals, and, you know, call them by the first name. But the bottom line is, it's all about you having the power that you can say if and when it comes on top and they'll do exactly what you say. Because if not, you're not worth anything. Mm. Yeah, And that goes then to saying, sorry, I've looked at it. We're not going to do this. Yeah, I don't understand why you're going to try and do it, but we're not going to do it. But, you know, if I, look, if I could make it happen, I'd make it happen. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to make it happen and die trying because that's senseless. Yeah, yeah. And how often would you be travelling? You said a few uh, every week, did you say? All the time. Really? Um, to be truthful, in when I was running several teams, um, uh, Foreign Secretary's team example, uh, practically every week. And that's just all places. over the world? Yeah. All over the world. How much can you disclose to your family of what you're doing? Um, okay, in protection, not that much of a problem. Um, not obviously before the operation, but post. Okay, yeah. it's been done. Yeah. The operation's gone. In intelligence, not not so much. Okay. Um, so in that's national tough, security, isn't it? again, not not necessarily that much. So the three different roles, you know. Um, so it all depends. You know, I spent a year writing papers, example, which you think, you know, this, um, which basically when I left, I keep wanting to say SIS, but I say MI6, so you understand mm. what I mean. Yeah. Okay, MI6. When I left MI6, uh, um, I, I basically started a new role and started a new task, which is the strategic analysis unit of the MPRU. Now, the MPRU was a national public order intelligence unit, which basically dealt with extreme left wing and extreme right wing throughout the whole of the United Kingdom. Right, okay. Uh, um, so my task in that body was, yeah, was to write papers for government, for uh, obviously special branches, for police, for the intelligence security services and the, and the military, basically about what we could expect in years to come. So we try and work out what 
would be the problems. You know, where were animal liberationists going to go? What was going to happen with the extreme right wing? What was going to happen with our, um, terrorist recruitment? Blah, 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 blah. How would it affect the communities in the United Kingdom? Mm. You know, if some, if India and Pakistan went to war, what would happen in the UK? Mm. You know, those sort of things. So, so you would have been very, mainly death space then? Uh, absolutely. Well, getting out and about, obviously speaking to people. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, getting the intel. Yeah. But uh, um, so because those people, papers would be split into different aspects. So there would be obviously a secret paper for that. Probably go to government and special branches and to the agencies, and then there'd be uh, maybe just a restricted paper that could go to local government. That could go to see what I mean. Mm. So, so the papers were set in different ways for different clientele, if you will. Uh, I studied that for a year with that with that unit, um, but that gives you a very good overview. Uh, so, a, an example of that was I looked at at the time, or began to look at. A pandemic. What would happen with a pandemic? What does it mean for public disorder? Oh, did you? And when was that? This is way back in 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so we started, started looking at that pandemic. What would be done? What would the circumstances be? How would it function? Um, uh, what we could expect in terms of public disorder? Uh, were we... Um, ready to deal with such issues. Mm. So you go out and speak with scientists, this, that, the other, whatever. But well, I never produced a paper. And that's the thing, because something else becomes flavour of the day and they say, can you look at this for us? Yeah, I suppose it would have been interesting, but I guess it was such a different time then, wasn't it, For compared to now? It would have been a quite a different pandemic in a way, especially when you think of, and this is another area I wanted to ask you about, was the role of technology and that evolution, really, and how has that changed the role, if you know? Massively. Because, yeah, I was going to say, you, you must be able to do so much more now Massively. from your desk. Yeah, Massively. In the old days, um, you were much more circumspect. Yeah. Right. So I won't. I won't talk about the United Kingdom because um, it will be sensitivity. So let's talk about the United States. I'll talk about what you know about. So, example, um, Snowden. You familiar with him? Yep. Edward Snowden. Right. Okay. From the NSA. Okay. Right. Uh, and CIA. Right. So, if you look at that and you look at the fallout from that mm. circumstance. What you will understand is from that circumstance, and you know when I said about secret, top secret, whatever, yeah. what you will understand is when it's a, something that could be of national importance to the state if something is leaked. Right. So, you know, secret, then top secret. So Snowden, example, leaked the NSA, National Security Agency of the United States, leaked its... Um, intelligence gathering yeah. in Germany. Okay, so basically, every German politician, including the Chancellor, was being listened into. Yeah. Now that's I'm telling that because it's absolutely open. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's been President, it's been hugely documented. Absolutely, President Obama had to go and apologise then to the Bundeskanzler, whom, whom I know by the way, and, and had to go and apologise to her and say, mm. blah 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 blah. Right, so. It was also documented that basically every telephone call that came out of Spain was being listened to. And that's every telephone call. Yeah. Okay. God. So that's your capacity now. 
Yeah. So once you have that type of capacity, just coming, bringing that back, if I were there now, whereas before I might have to be circumspect and say, let's imagine if this were the case, and somebody said, well, let's look at these, these, and these people who may well be connected to this person whom I think is a terrorist or I think could be a terrorist or somebody whom I could turn to provide me with the information I need. Um, I'd say, let's look at these, these, and these people. Now, because when you have a telephone call, telephone book, or telephone, you soon will see that one person leads to a 1,000, to a 100,000, to a million, yeah. right? So now one could say, instead of saying, oh, look at these 30, 40, 50, 100 people, now you just say put them all on. Mm. Right? So with the algorithm, you just put them all on. Mm, yeah. Listen to everybody. Yeah. That's the difference. Mm. Uh, for somebody like the United States, I'm not saying that's what the United Kingdom's into. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying what's documented from the United States. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? So that's the how technology clearly makes a difference. Facial recognition clearly makes a difference. What we were always doing in the UK was cameras. I mean, we had yeah. the ring of steel around London, which in my day was, you know, unheard of for other countries. I mean, absolutely, just, just unheard of. I mean, in the UK, we have uh, this thing that we're very, very free and, and open. Um, but I can remember going to Austria and speaking to Austrians um, from the ground. And... Um, I can remember uh, them suggesting to me that they had a camera looking at something. So I said to the Austrian general in charge of the police, if you're ever in London, come into London and you can look at our control room. Um, so he, he did, he came back in and went into the Met control room, taking the counts, he's going back now, 2000 and odd. Um, and he was astounded. He said, this is Star Trek. This is unbelievable. That network of cameras. Yeah, absolutely. The ring of steel, as it was. I'm saying this because it's absolutely open. Mm. And in those days, nobody knew about ANPR, automatic number plate reading. You know, we had ANPR. As soon as you came off the M1, ANPRs, blah, 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 blah. So all that was unbelievable. Now it's, now every normal patrol car's looking at ANPR. So what I'm saying to you is it's vastly different. Mm vastly different do you think that intelligence services can keep up with the pace of technology and how quickly things are changing how quickly people's behavior is changing if you just think about now you know the tech companies and the data they're accumulating and mm. the behaviors of people online and what they're sharing and um what they're being influenced by can they match facebook no yeah um but it depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking about National Security Agency of the United States, probably. Okay. But then that's because you're spending billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. Yeah. Right? And, and, I, and I do mean that, mm. literally. Hundreds of billions. Really? So they, they will have capacity. Yeah? It's all about what you spend, what you're willing to, what you get from what you spend. Mm. And it's all about powers as well. So people have this image of the British police example of not having much power because they don't carry firearms as a general rule. Uh, I mean, obviously, being the branch did on certain roles, but as a general rule, 
what, 95% of the British police, 98% in the counties outside of London are not going to carry a firearm. But that would be a misunderstanding if you're talking about powers. Because if you go to France, um, basically the police powers are very limited. So a, a British policeman, um, where an officer believes an arrestable offence has been committed, he may arrest any person whom he suspects of committing the offence. No, where an officer suspects, he may arrest any person whom he suspects of the offence, right? So that's yeah. two suspicions. So actually an offence has not been committed knowingly, but he suspects it has, and he suspects it's the suspect. So he mm. can arrest that person, right? The French police do not have that sort of power. Mm. They've got to have people where offences have been committed. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then the investigative element is done by a magistrate. Mm-hmm. And they direct the police as to what to investigate, whereas the British police investigate what they so wish. Now, they ask for charges via the uh, um, Crown Prosecution Service. So this is where the difference now lies. Before, one didn't do that. But now you say to the Crown Prosecution Service, have I got enough to charge them? What can I charge them with? In the past, you didn't do that. Now you do. Um, but the, all of the investigation up to that point and beyond it, frankly, is done by the police, mm. not in most European countries. So when I told you I was writing for the Staatsanwalt in Germany, same then, that Staatsanwalt district attorney, he's making decisions as to investigative aspects. Right. Yeah. They're not doing that in Britain. Those powers lie in the police Yeah. as an independent body, which nobody can tell what they should or should not do. Mm. And do you think that works better or it's just different? But, it's an interesting thing. In one way, I like the idea of the European system because what comes with that European system is what they call an inquisitorial system. So the police's body is meant to basically investigate the crime to see, one, if it's been committed, to see, two, who's committed it. Yeah? Yeah. So you're not a prosecutor, you're not a defendant. You're just trying to find out the truth. Whereas in Britain, what tends to happen more is it's acquisitorial, where you tend to take the perspective of the prosecutor, mm. which is the CPS, mm. to try and prosecute the person for that offence. Yeah, And that leaves it being less ambiguous. It's like you're looking for evidence yeah, rather than looking for if there's a crime and has it been committed. Did you see what I mean? Mm. It does make a difference. Mm. Yeah, I do see. You mentioned, I'm just conscious of time, you mentioned before, oh, in the bodyguard and they're calling, you know, Sir mm. Ma'am. It, is there a TV show or film that you you think is truest to the real experience that you've seen and think this is actually pretty close to home? In the modern day, I think it's less and less. Really? I would have said the old Sweeney. Okay. Squad yeah, was probably real for those days. And the stuff that they did then that was beyond the pale was probably things they were doing beyond the pale in those old days. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, you know, Rufty Tufty in those old days, which doesn't really happen today. The, the old special branch series of those old days was roundabout right, although it didn't get the relationship between the security service MI5 and the branch right, it, it, 
it basically had it as though they were directing the police, which is, I've just said, managing to do the police is totally independent and they do not direct it. You know, on many occasions, security service said to me, can you do this, this and this? And I've said, no. Right. Simple as. Right. So it's not a direction, it's a request. Uh, um, so that's the way that works. So, but other than that, the sort of cases were probably about right. Uh, um, and then somehow they went about it was probably about right. In the modern day, everything's much too hyped. Right. So if you look at, you know, they're good stories, don't get me wrong. So if you look at something like, um, what's the hit now, Line of Duty. This is a force which is meant to be a force somewhere in the Midlands. Yeah. On average, 2,500 people in their force. And basically, they've got a person supposedly undercover, using that terminology, uh, uh, time and time again, who after the first time she was undercover would be known. Yeah, that's what I always think. <laughs> because everybody knows everybody in those little small forces. You know, the, yeah. CIDs, the CIDs are about 100 people. So, you know, the, the 300 people didn't know who she was. That's the first thing. Um, uh, second thing is, she said she comes from somewhere else. I think she says East Midlands often. Well, the first thing any DI would do with his salt is get on the blow and say, who's this person from East Midlands? Who is she? Yeah, you know what I mean? So, so I mean, that's all nonsense. Uh, and frankly, the amount of gunplay they have in there is incredible. I mean, really? you know, yeah. uh, the amount of armed officers they have in there. It, it, let me explain that bit. In, as an armed officer, basically, you have a lot of refreshers to do all the time. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so they do not have a lot of armed people available. So even if you were in the service, let's say you were in SO1, which is now the bit, the protection bit, of special guard, uh, and you leave, and you're amongst the most highly trained firearms officers in the United Kingdom, having been in SO1, especially if you're in uh, my unit, where I set up a unit which basically, as I told you, acted with the military all the time. You're probably, you know, you, you heavily trained on a lot of weaponry. You would lose your ticket. You didn't keep your ticket, call it, you know, your firearms ticket. You didn't keep it. If you went somewhere else, was not part of the firearms command, you lost it. It wasn't, oh, you're firearms trained, aren't you? You can do this. No, it doesn't work like that. You've lost it. Because mm. you've got to keep up the refreshers. And they just don't have the people to keep the refreshers up. Yeah. So there's all that type of business that goes with it. There's also that unit must be massive in relationship to the, to the force. The chief constable, <laughs> corrupt. Everybody's corrupt. It'll have been closed down 10 times over. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah entertaining yeah. but you know nonsense yeah um, yeah so you, you you get this but the problem with it all is is that people believe that's true is that a problem it is a big problem is it it is a big problem why is so it such a we, big problem well let's take the latest demonstration um at the unfortunate death uh, um uh, by the officer right. in uh, um uh, South, South London, wasn't it, where he, where he carried out his attack. Okay, so yeah. you then have the vigil, right? And the vigil takes place, and the law is very, very clear. The COVID law is set out, yeah? What you can't do then is turn around and say, we'll just let that slip. Because if you let that slip, as sure as eggs are eggs, the next person will turn around and say, well, you had a big vigil over there, my auntie's died and we're having a vigil for my auntie. Yeah. Yeah, and we're doing this. So the police have always got to be second-guessing what might happen. 
And when you have these programs that make out that the reason why things happen are all about corruption or all about people doing things in the wrong manner, and you'll hear things like, oh, an officer is uh, being done for an assault. Well, or sexual assault, better, even better, a sexual assault. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Because I don't know what that means. A sexual assault can be me brushing against you intentionally, or it can be me going all the way but for raping you, example. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So it's such a wide premise mm. that it doesn't make any sense. And then again, they'll say, well, police are not investigating rapes. No. What happens is the police investigate the crimes, but as I said to you now, the Crime Prosecution Service tell the police whether it can go forward. Yeah. So a good example on that would be the Stephen Lawrence case, whereby the police within, I think it's about, yeah, I think you can quote me on 10 days, had practically the names of the individuals who committed the offence mm. as they perceived it. They put the evidence of the Prime Prosecution Service and it was them who said there's not enough evidence. Because yeah. what they do is they go on a 60-40 chance. If that case is not going to have a 60% chance of winning, they don't they don't carry that case through. Really? Right? That's how they're doing it because it's saving money, right? Because the case is expensive. So that's how they tend to run things through. There are exceptions, obviously, mm. to the rule, but that's all to the Crown Prosecution Service. It's in them the police. The police do not prosecute people. All the police do is charge people and put them, and once the charges are, the, 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 now in our days, they don't even charge them without the Crown Prosecution Service. So really? Basically, the Crown Prosecution, oh. Service, the Crown Prosecution Service tell them what they can charge people with now. Oh. So that's how far it's gone in the opposite direction. Wow, yeah. So it's a freedom to charge you now because they're saying we're going to take this to court. So we don't want you charging people with murder when we think it's manslaughter. Did you get what I'm saying? Mm. That's how they are working it because our case is what we are taking to court. We're the ones who will be the barristers and in the court who have to run the case. So we are doing, we're prosecuting. We, we were not taking it. That's how it's now working out. So it's quite difficult, but the only people getting the blame for it are the police. Because nobody understands what the Crown Prosecutors do. Um, so, I mean, I mean, this is off my work now. It's not the work I, I was doing. But but it, it feeds into the whole police perspective uh, about things and about how things are going on. People want things done. People want to prevent riots. People want to prevent this, that and the other. But they don't want people to, let me say what the, if you go to train school, I did in the past, the first thing you would learn is the primary objective of an efficient police is the prevention and detection of crime. So before you go anywhere near arresting people, the intention is to prevent and detect it. And that's basically what the branch was doing. Mm. Right? Now, that can be perceived as ambiguous because some people might say, oh, they've not done anything. Yeah? Mm. But you see, the actions are being... So if you're let's say, um, subversive. Let's use the word subversive, which the branch did a lot of, subversion. So subversive, basically, somebody who's trying to overthrow parliamentary democracy by unparliamentary means, okay? In other words, by not going in voting for it, but trying to overthrow it in other ways. And it might be by uh, instigating sabotage, instigating actions, instigating rioting, turning people's uh, um, uh, heads against the system, basically looking at the fizzers, in society and trying to pull society apart. Right? That's how most countries 
are overtaken. Most countries are not overtaken by external conflict. They're overtaken by internal conflict. Mm. So in order for you to be a politically looking at something, you have to look at that in those early stages because once it gets to the point where everything's happening, it's too late. So you only need to take um, the Stasi example in East Germany had a very good service. But by the time they got on a grip, in fact, they never got a grip of what was happening. So they lost the state. Yeah. Um, you can say that about a whole host of states. You can see the problem right now in, in Northern Ireland another part of the United Kingdom. If they don't watch it, that can run out of control. Mm. Right? And before you know it, you're back into the troubles. And you're back yeah. with 30,000 British soldiers there again uh, and spending billions of pounds mm. to defend against the problem. So this is, you've got to be very careful on these issues because these are not mindless people doing these things. These are people with agendas. In the old yeah. days, it was communism. And, and now more and more, uh, and right-wing supremacy. Uh, um, more and more, there's a lot of right-wing supremacy. And then, obviously, there is terrorism of a religious nature, mm. uh, which you know a lot mm. of my work has been in, in, involved in. And, and believe me, the big difference is with the terror of a religious nature that we're dealing with is, uh, in the past, there was generally a political motive to the process. By political, I mean there was an intent to get something, yeah. So you could negotiate in some way because yeah. what we were trying to get was they wanted to, example, uh, say the north of Ireland. Example: I want the north of Ireland to be part of the south. The fact the south didn't want the north, um, which a lot of people don't understand, the south didn't want the north because the south would inherit the problem from the Protestants rather yeah. than the Catholics, and they don't have the money that the UK has to deal with that issue. So, you know, that's, that's, that's your big problem there. So, um, but the IRA knew what it was trying to do, was trying to work that system. Uh, so you get a United Ireland, fair enough. There's a political dimension. With some of the issues now, there is no political dimension other than making sure that people of that faith have no choice but to gang with them. Mm. So that's why... Um, I wrote papers about not going into war in Iraq. I was dealing with that issue. Not going into wars of Iraq for the pure and simple reason I knew all you'd get, not going to war in Afghanistan, all you were going to get was a recruiting sergeant for more people to join because you're killing people. You enter a war of people, you kill hundreds of thousands of people, and you've now made hundreds of thousands of enemies, and it's pointless. Mm. So you, you should be dealing with that in a structured police action, when I say police, I'm talking security service, um, external service action to deal with the individuals causing the problem, not, you know, sending in armies and killing people left, right and centre and all the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely negative. But that's what they knew would happen. Fascinating. Well, I'm really conscious of time here, but I don't, I've still got some questions. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go on. You, you no, got me going. Yeah, ask, ask away and I'll be very, very quick. Would you recommend this line of work to young people today what what are the benefits do you think I mean obviously there's so many in my head you know it's you get to be God, privy to some of the most exciting politics and um change or, or events going on in the world you get to travel you know you get to understand like you say lots of different religions and politics and class and race and and see the world from a 
perspective that most people don't. Yes, all of that. The problem is that now I'd have to recommend it in a different way. Okay. In the past, I would say to anybody before 26, join the special branch, do it that way. Because you would do all of the stuff which, frankly, if you ever watched that program, which I get me was over the top, uh, um, uh, what was it about the security service? What did they call it? The um, oh, well, yeah. What was it called? Was it called? You know the one I mean. Yeah. I the name of it. Yeah. Oh, basically, spooks. what they spooks, right? Yeah. Okay. Basically, the what they showed in that program was what the special branch did nine times out of ten. That was special branch work because. Um, it's much more. It was much more hands-on, yeah, than the security service work. So um, I would have said to individuals, join the special branch, mm. and, and, and by that I mean MPSB, Met Special Branch, not in yeah. the counties, because it was a short-term two-year, and of course they didn't have the variety. Um, and you couldn't move to different sections and all this because they didn't have different sections. They just had one body of people doing one thing. So, yeah, so that's what I would have said. With the disbanding of the branch, so they've got SO15, but really now it's not a special branch anymore. It's basically a police investigative body. So it's not doing the same type of intelligence gathering that it used to do okay. on all issues. So we used to gather on all issues. So as an example, we gathered um, on cults coming up to the year 2000. Now, you may think that's strange, but if you think of the Ulm cult, what they did is, in Tokyo, the only people who've been executed actually quite recently in Japan, what they did is is they tried to uh, um, basically murder everybody on the Tokyo underground and also flew over uh, Nagasaki and seeded the clouds with... Are, um, I mean, they're highly intelligent people. They they, they made uh, a poison which was meant to kill everybody in Nagasaki, um, yeah. because they believed that with the coming of the year two thousand, um, the man would become the new version of Jesus. Mm. So, um, so, so that was a dangerous thing, and there were various other cults knocking around at the time. Um, so, example, you remember Waco, don't you? Mm. Um, right. So, about a quarter of the people in Waco were British. You know, so you, you've, you've, you've got these sort of stuff running on. So on occasions, because the branch could look at everything, it could make its decision as to what was important at a particular time. SO15 doesn't do that. It basically is a counterterrorism branch. And okay. it basically does what it says on, on the pad, counterterrorism. But with the intelligence aspect now being nigh on solely run from the security service, hmm. whereas before that intelligence aspect was being run from the special branch. So yeah. I wouldn't recommend that now in the same way. I'd recommend people look at joining the security service if they wanted to join the security service for internal work. Definitely if you like the idea of external work to join the secret intelligence service, MI6, if you like, you know. Um, so one comes under the foreign office, the other one comes under the home office. If you were sort of a geeky type of guy or gal, take a look at what's offered by GCHQ, which is a signals intelligence. So um, computers, they start and they have everything that's running. Um, but also, if you were interested in just general crime, I think now that the National Crime Agency, which has an international flavour to it, uh, might also be interested. So yeah. 
my interest has always been not just sitting in one place, so it, it, it's wide. So crime isn't necessarily my vein, although I did do some work um, on narco-terrorism in the past, uh, Pablo Escobar and those type of people. But um, really, it's more in the political sphere that my interest was always. So, yeah, recommending, I'd go that route personally. But then if you want to be a general duty police officer, that you've got to join the police. That's That would be the right route. If you like driving in a fast car or whatever, that would, the police, general policing route would be the one for you. So that's what I'm saying. You've, you've, got to, you've got to know what your bent is, if you will. Did you enjoy your career? Did you feel you got, a, got everything you needed out of it? Uh, absolutely. I did enjoy it. I, uh, it was hard work. Uh, uh, and on some roles, it was negative. Did you ever question some of the assignments you were set? Did you ever feel like they were right or, or, or maybe you disagreed with or weren't genuine? I've never perceived the role as not genuine. Yeah. Um, I have never disagreed with the nature of the role. I'm thinking as I'm saying it, being performed. Mm. What I may have disagreed with is some of, you know, the obvious ones like uh, um, uh, I did protection for... Uh, um, uh, you know, they were in negotiation for the white South African regime, example. Right, uh, okay. Uh, um, when they came to Britain, you know, you you took the role and you protected them. Okay, yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a hard one, isn't it? You know, but, but they were in negotiation, so, you know, you, I suppose right, you could look okay. at that route. Yeah. So um, it was by the time they were, they had to, they knew they had to go into negotiation. But um, so that, but that's an easy thing to talk about. I think what you're looking more to is basically in the context of what task you were doing. And what I would say is that if you don't know what's below the surface, you can look at something and think that's not correct. So what I mean by that is you can look at some of the extreme left, extreme right stuff, and you can think, well, well they're not doing any harm. Yeah, you could think. But the reality is, if people are, and, and, and the people running the organisations, so most of these things are organisations, it's not individuals. So it's organisations, they're Trotskyist or Marxist-Leninist or whatever. And under the organisation's criteria, what they're trying to do is whip up hostility. Now, they may be pointing out good points, so black people being treated worse, whatever, 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 but... The, the way about it is to excite those people into wrecking their own their own places. So to cause mm. them to riot, to cause them to have constant uh, a conflict with police, mm. which in the end only feeds back on the people they are working on, not on them. Because generally yeah. the middle class, they've got a middle class sit back, they've got a view of what they think, the world should be and um they want to orientate it in that way the best thing i could way i could put it which i worked on for, for a bit would be um rota army faction in 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 or Badermeinhof, right in, in east germany in west germany so they've got a perspective they don't like the german state as it is they think the german state is negative and so they want to deal with the german state okay mm. but 
their way of going about dealing with the German state actually is negative for most people. And the reality is, is most normal people in revolution are the ones who pay the price. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's true. not the person who sets it up in front. No. That person in the end, even if it, come, if it comes good, if it doesn't come good, uh, they've tried bad luck. If it does come good, they're the ones who sit in the meetings, they're the ones who get the nice car, they're the ones who become the president, the prime minister, whatever it might be, of the new country formed, other way it functions. But Joe Soap, the fellow who's actually carrying it, and Joe and Josephine Soap, actually, who's carrying the actions, they end up with nothing out of it. Mm. Mm. Right. So if you take Libya right now, okay, as an example, Libya had the basically bar none the highest living standard in Africa. Now it's bar none high on the worst because yeah. everybody's fighting everybody and killing everybody. Yeah. Right. So now Haftar and people like that who are running the, the, the actions, they're living well. Gaddafi, yes. Mm. Gaddafi looked after himself and his family mm. to some extent. But the truth of the matter is, you know, he didn't live that well high on the hog. His mistake was that he originally started off his actions in a time when you were either west or east. And if you weren't yeah. west, for whatever reason, it was put down to you being a communist. And so any action against you was then legitimate. Right. What Gaddafi then did is... Uh, there was an organisation called the National Front for the Salvation of Libya. Again, I'm not telling you anything that's sensitive because I've been very careful. Um, that organisation was set up to, obviously, uh, get rid of Gaddafi and work for it. That organisation, he said, right, so you, whomever these people are, have set up this organisation. Now we're going to make sure that we support every organisation that wants to come back at you. So basically, against every Western country, he support the Red Army faction, he'd support minor strike in, in England. It's whomever. If you went and walked to him, you, you support the IRA with weapons and whatever else. He support anybody. He support M53s against the Colombians. He support anyone, right? Because he's saying, you try to do me or I'm never going to do you. Yeah. You can't win on that, really. No. <laughs> At the end of the day, you take on too many enemies. So that's what I mean by that. So in answering your question, to be very last one, one thing I would say is I'm not happy that we could have done more in some conflicts that didn't touch the West. You're right. Okay, yeah. So bearing okay. more responsibility. Yeah, in some conflicts that didn't touch the West or some things that if the West or Western allies were to be affected by an action that you may know of, um, it's much easier to deal with that and to actually do something about it than mm. if no Westerners are to be attacked in it. Yeah. Now, I understand source protection, protection of your agent, but, you know, people are people. And if mm -hmm. you could make that to the eighth degree, um, and I spoke to Clinton about it, um, the United States undertook no action in Rwanda when it knew what was going on. Yeah. Clinton admits to that, he puts his hands up. His words were to me, the US had no appetite for an African war. God. Now, that's the highest amount of people who died in any conflict anywhere in the world at any time. So a million really? people, a million people Shit. Uh, in less than 100 days. God, I didn't realise it was that high. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and that's hard to sit with, isn't it? But, you know, 
the actions we were taking as a general rule. I think we did very well, we, the United Kingdom, did very well in Sierra Leone. I think it was a brave decision um, by uh, General Richards at the time to actually undertake some action, and then the Prime Minister, which is Tony Blair, um, to actually take some some action there against a conflict that was just you know out of control, uh, but could be dealt with quite easily. And I think the UK did well in that. Where you we've talked more at the start about how elitist it is in mm. in some of the, the departments you went to. Well, MI6, I guess, was mm. the, the main mm. one. And the security service, yeah. And, and the security service. Did you ever, you got there on your own merit, you know, yeah. you deserve to be there. Did you, did you feel part of the club or did you still feel on the outside or did you want to be on the outside? You know, I didn't want to be in that club. <laughs> right. Um, I was seconded to MI6 as an officer from MPSB. But at no stage did I feel as I was seconded and I did exactly the same, I had access to everything that they had access to and did and performed roles, actually many more than many others within that and did what I needed to do and got my operations through as I needed to get them through. So in no way, shape or means, and I've got friends to this very day who are in the organisation. So I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that it's wrong that there is this perspective. I think that it can be to the negative of the service Mm. if you don't use all talents available and try and outreach. It was too easy for a professor at university. You know, look, I did my degree way after. Um, I started first doing it when I was with the Americans, by the way, and then subsequently finished in the United Kingdom. But but I did my degree way after. There's no way I was getting to Oxford or Cambridge, but St. Andrews or Durham or... uh, um, Imperial College. So there was never going to be some professor who would tap me on the shoulder and say, have you ever thought of joining the foreign office, my friend? Yeah. Yeah. As a yeah. euphemism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or the home office if it was for the security service. So mm. what I'm saying is if you take from a certain pool and that's all that you were taking from, then you're going to miss out on some skills from other people. Not saying that the people involved weren't capable. Good. Um, generally good people, just saying that sometimes other talents were required that couldn't be brought through that process. Mm. When I left, I did make such recommendations yeah, um, and went back. And I know now that they, and you know now as well, because they've highlighted it, that they do all sorts of things now to recruit in other ways. The later C, Sir John Sawyers, did a hell of a lot on that to try and bring people in from other avenues. And I think they've been quite successful. What do you think of this race report that came out a few days ago? And obviously the it, it looked at the Met Police, didn't it? And it had Police Chief Superintendent talking about it, didn't he? Uh, right. What I will say is, is this. The police, the intelligence agencies, our um, education, um, medicine, Whatever it is, reflects the society it sits in. Now, we are an absolutely class-orientated society, so yeah. it's been very easy for us, if you're from the middle classes, to call down the working class and working class organisations. So I'll give you an example that's totally off what we're talking about. When the Quentin fire took place, I said to an ex-fireman whom I knew, 
I'm telling you what's going to happen. The first thing they're going to look to is what the fire brigade did. And they're going to try and find out and try and stick the fire brigade with this problem. And they're going to say to you, uh, you should have changed your procedures or whatever else, rather than looking at it from the perspective it should have been, who put that cladding on that building? So when you say they, do you mean the police? The apparatus. No, no, no. The state apparatus. The state. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, that's what you've got to look at, the state apparatus. Yeah, yeah. So what you had was the first part of that inquiry, judges and all the rest of them, first part of that inquiry is looking at what the fire brigade did whilst Mm. it's still fresh in people's minds. The next part of that inquiry will look at what council leaders did and all the rest of it. But that's gone from people's minds by then. So you I, knew that from experience. How, absolutely. And that's years after you re, you retired, isn't it? Correct, years. Because it's a working class organisation. It's easy mm. to hit the working class every time. That's mm. the big problem we've got in this country. It's still yeah. not gone away. No. Seriously, it's not gone away. And until we actually rid ourselves of that, we're not really going to get our full potential of everybody having full opportunity, which is one of the reasons why but, I wrote the book, frankly. Yeah, but but it's strategic, isn't it? It's not just because it's what they do. It it's strategic. Of course it is. I mean, yeah. look, you, you you if you're the head of a council, dame, whatever, you've got friends who are in high places and who who exactly. work, and in fact, it may blow back on on, on certain other people. You know, mm. so what you do is you look at what's the lowest common denominator that we can do. Mm. Let me give you another example of it very quickly because it's kind of the uh, Hillsborough. Mm. Right. So shortly before Hillsborough happened, just about six months to nine months before, you had the problem with Liverpool fans in Heysel Stadium. Right. And one of the problems with the Liverpool situation was in Heysel Stadium is that people got crushed. Right. Government at the time wanted these big high fences or at, police, at, at football matches. Right. They wanted these high fences because it didn't want hooliganism in British football. Right. Now, when Heysel happened, Surely somebody should have looked at that in the Home Office in government and said, do you know what? These fences are potentially dangerous because if something happens, as we've seen in Heysel, there's nowhere to go for the fans. But no, when it happened, and the fact of the matter is, Liverpool fans were known for coming in early, in late, sorry, to get into matches. The superintendent opened up the gates externally and allowed people in. So when the crush happened... There's nowhere for the fans to go. You can't just you can't crawl over an eight foot fence, yeah. But nobody in government, nobody in the Home Office took any hit for that. They hit a superintendent of police, whose job it was to try and control sixty thousand fans. Now yeah. I don't care who you are, you cannot <laughs> control sixty thousand people. No, of course not. Right. So this is what I'm saying. But these things are. This is our system. This is how we work it. So, yes, that race report basically looked at the basics and didn't go to what we know. The truth of the matter is, okay, I'll give you another point why I say this. A prime ex-prime minister whom I knew, no names, no pat drill, uh, we were in Monte Carlo, Monaco, and uh, we were watching a football match. I'm not going to say who this person is, watching a football match, and... Um, Arsenal were playing and the person said we got him very very well He's, the person is a great person and uh, um, uh, uh, you know I would not call the person a racist 
right? Let's make that all clear. We, um, we were watching a football match and the person said, typical Arsenal, not playing a single Englishman. So I said, look, there's at least three Englishmen, Walcott, Gibbs, and somebody else, can't remember it was at the time, who were playing on that team. And that person said, they're West Indians. I said, no, <laughs> they're Englishmen. God, it's, I love that actually it's awful. He's married here, he's born here. Yeah. His father is born here. His mother is born here. How, how, how is this person a West Indian? Yeah. I mean, the only re- I said, so what you're saying to me is then, is so Winston Churchill's an American. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because that's what you're telling me. I said, the only difference I can see is a person just happens to be black. And what did they right. say? Well, you know, oh, you know what I mean, blah, 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 blah. Right, but the point I'm making is, is this. That is the problem because yeah. we have this perspective of who can be English, who can be Scottish, who can be Welsh, who can be whatever. So that's why I, I do give talks and like to about the 2,000-year history of black people mm. in the United Kingdom. You know, I talk about people, um, Emperor Septimus Severus and his uh, Legionis Africanus, his African legions, who were here on Hadrian's Wall in 212 AD and who married the local people and <laughs> whose offspring are, are still in that region. You can test it via the DNA, so I'm not saying any rubbish. And Septimus Severus was uh, um, was buried in York for a while before he was taken back. Um, and, and that's before the Angles and Saxons. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So, so, so this is what I'm saying. And, and throughout our history, we've always had people of colour in at all mm. different times, right? Mm. You know, th- there's a statement by Queen Elizabeth I who said, there's too many blackamoors in this country. I'm talking about Queen Elizabeth I now. Yeah, 1601. Too many blackamoors in this country, send them back from whence they came. So, of course, they weren't just a few. So, mm. and that's in the British Museum. So you can look it up. So everything I say, I ask people to look up. So the point is, until that history is made known, yeah, we're going to have this problem where we're assuming people aren't English based upon colouring. Yeah, which, by the way, is a misnomer race. Uh, um, but, of course, it's a political reality. Mm. And I always say race is a biological nonsense, but the greatest political reality. Yeah, it's absolutely that's, that's right. What, yeah. That's what I say. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so that's why some people can't get their heads around it. And and so that report doesn't help there because it's actually pretending that sure. this really deep in-ground thing isn't there when it is. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, very interesting. I really, really enjoyed that chat. It was really Likewise. good. Likewise. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like there's more I could do, but I'm just so so aware of also my editing time. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry for taking up so much of your time, actually. No, uh, God, no. You got I, me I'm, talking, you shouldn't do that. I am just so grateful for it. I really am. I mean, I don't get to speak to people like you very often with the incredible experience and uh, just stories and knowledge and yeah, it's just incredible. So I won't forget this for a while. I'll be talking about it for ages. But um, <laughs> no, thank not. you so much for for taking the time. Likewise, or thank you for your help. Yeah. Lovely. Well, have a lovely weekend. Yeah, and same to you. Enjoy. So what did you think? Do you think you'd be cut out for undercover work? Is it what you expected? Although this was two parts, so we did go into detail, we only really did scratch the surface. So if you are keen to really get into 
more of the the stories then do pick up a copy of Carlton's book it's called Black Ops the incredible true story of a British secret agent you can get it on Amazon actually I'll put the link into the show notes so it's easy to find and yeah thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed the two-parter and I'll see you next week <laughs>